is Nick and Ricky, and this is the new meta, episode one. So yeah, we got Spiro Curry here from the Gaming Stadium, uh, VP of Marketing, mm-hmm. uh, brand new company doing some exciting things in the Vancouver area. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and what you guys are doing. Sure. So uh, yeah, my name is Spiro. Thanks for the introduction, Nick. And uh, I've personally been in the esports space myself for about four years now. Uh, prior to that, um, you know, a long history of working in traditional sports uh, for a local baseball team, as well as uh, at EA on the video game side. So um, prior to jumping into esports, I had the opportunity to kind of learn the traditional way that sports businesses run, mm-hmm. as well as the traditional way of the video game industry. And then, uh, you know, when I learned about esports, I was like, whoa, this is the perfect opportunity to take those two things combine them um, and look at a a possible career opportunity so um, you know if if you want to go you know kind of further back um, you know to talk about my journey a little bit um, I I always have been into marketing it's always been something that's been a a passion of mine but more so is video games and so when I was young um, I remember being five years old and getting my first NES and to me, uh, it wasn't so much like the gameplay itself. The thing that, again, my dad tells the story to me all the time, is like the thing that, that I was enthralled with was like I pressed A on a controller and my character on the screen jumped. And like I was just like, yes. this technology is so cool. Yeah. And I, at five, I couldn't get over how cool it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, luckily for me, my parents fostered that. And when new systems came out, I was given the ability to, um, you know, get those. Whether it was like a, you know, a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis or mm-hmm. a Nintendo 64. And then um, when I played Mario 64 for the first time. Uh, that's when I was just like, this is what I want to do yeah. for a living. Uh, open world, it totally changed the way that, for me, games were played. Well, Mario 64 yeah. was a game changer. In of itself, yeah. like in the industry when it came out, hype was unreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was lucky to get one that yeah. Christmas. Um, yeah. uh, I'll never forget, it came from Costco and it was in this plastic pack that had like the console, a red controller, the game, and it was just like laid out so beautifully. And then like, you don't even want to open it, right? And then yeah. you open it and you start playing and you're like, whoa. And I didn't put it down for weeks. And so that's where I really realized, like, I wanted to be in the industry. So um, fast forward a few years, you know, my dad was always in the restaurant business. And uh, he owned a bunch of restaurants growing up, and I always worked for him. Um, And uh, I had the opportunity in post-secondary to kind of say, like, you know what, I I don't consider myself like a traditional thinker or learner, so what can I do? And I found the Art Institute of Vancouver. And when I went there, they had a video game development program Mm -hmm. that I really wanted to take. Um, I ended up going into visual effects, which is, you know, green screen stuff for the movies. Um, But uh, while I was there, I was able to take a couple of courses that really honed in on, like, the science behind making video games. And that's when um, I was like, okay, like, I know I could never code or dev, Mm -hmm. but, like, I love marketing. I love playing games. Mm -hmm. Where could that lead me? And, um, yeah, and then that kind of kick-started, you know, me into uh, making the transition to a traditional sports model and then learning um, the gaming industry. So, basically, you you graduated from there and then you went to traditional sports from there. Yeah, I went to the Vancouver Canadians baseball team. Um, I went to traditional sports. And the reason I did that is... um, First of all, they had internship opportunities. And again, growing up in a family where we owned restaurants, this was an opportunity for me to take my love of a bunch of different things and bring it Mm -hmm. to the forefront. Um, uh, But learning was the big thing. So, um, you know, 
I wanted to break away from the restaurant business and you know my dad at that time we just had the one restaurant left right at our peak we owned four I think at one time um, and we just kind of said you know my dad was getting a bit older and yeah. I was kind of being groomed to take over and it's not really what I wanted to do forever mm-hmm. so I got the opportunity to intern and because of that we ended up selling the restaurant which was a blessing in disguise and um, while I was doing traditional sports I was yeah. still very heavily involved in gaming especially in my free time um, right. you know I would I would again before uh, Amazon and the internet is what it is now like yeah. when the Xbox 360 or the PS3 came out yeah. like yeah. you had to wait in line overnight at like a Walmart or a London Dogs yeah. to get it the next day yeah. or if you wait and it's on eBay the next day it's like quadruple the price yeah. it's like two and they grand ran out. they ran out oh, every single time they had like five of them yeah. like it was ridiculous <laughs> that, was, that was part of the fun though <laughs> oh it was like I remember I had such fond memories like chilling yeah. with your buddies yeah, and yeah. like you know line up at like 2am outside of EB with like three right. other people <laughs> you've got a big thermal jacket on and you're eating a sandwich and drinking yeah. whatever like it was fun yeah. and um, so I always just like I always wanted the latest and greatest. I was never um, really a PC guy. I was a a console dude. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, uh, you know, I guess all that background kind of leads to, uh, you know, my transition from uh, the the professional sports into gaming. So I was uh, lucky enough to be given an opportunity to go work in marketing at uh, EA. And uh, I worked on Need for Speed, which is a racing game. not much in the way of esports at the time. We're talking 2011, 2012. So esports right. was still in its super, super infancy. Totally. Um, but I got the opportunity to travel North and South America and essentially be a brand representative for this game and just share my passion of games with other people. Right. And it was at that time I realized, like, this is actually an industry that you could have a career in because cool. it's not easy to get in. But once you get in, it's like you get a taste of it, you never want to leave. Well, and what's interesting about that is like, you know, traveling through South America, you probably saw that it was like, like this is universal. Yeah. Like everybody plays games in some way, shape or form, maybe differently between cultures. Yeah. But the fact that they play is ubiquitous. Huge, yeah. yeah. And like online play uh, was just starting to get to like a, a place where it was a bit more stable and there were servers that mm-hmm. you'd be able to play people from, yeah. from all over the world. So the the only big difference I found in those regions was like there was a lot of knockoffs and the knockoffs <laughs> didn't allow you to actually connect to right. online servers. So right. um, I would go to these places and people would say like, oh, why should I buy your game when I can get a ripoff for half the price? And it's like, yeah, well, you can get a ripoff for half the price and finish the story mode in four hours, or you can right. pay for the real thing and just play forever yeah. and play people online and there's updates and all this stuff. So um, that was right when, like, I think, like, bootlegging of games was starting to fade away, but it was yeah. still prevalent, um, but it was starting to kind of uh, fade. So um, uh, EA, like, our game that we were working on didn't perform as well as we wanted it to and so unfortunately they moved our department down to San Francisco which at the time for me wasn't uh, an option Mm -hmm. so I kind of took a step back and was trying to figure out you know what I could do to maybe take the next step in in my gaming career Mm -hmm. Um, along came uh, an opportunity to work for a casino group in a marketing capacity not the same kind of gaming but gaming nonetheless Mm -hmm. Um, and I was there for a couple years and uh, in late 2015 early 2016 uh, a very interesting opportunity came across my desk. So I had made it known internally that I was very interested in the video game space. And what I was doing was actually pushing um, our company Mm -hmm. to try to bring in video game themed slot machines to drive in a younger demographic of people. Because there was a big gap in casino marketing. Um, A lot of the marketing had been focused on the older generation Mm -hmm. um, that was coming in and playing the slots and and paying the bills, but they missed a generation and that's like people 
our age, right? Um, so what ended, what ended up happening was based on that, the company was like, okay, this guy obviously is really passionate about this kind of stuff, yeah, so yeah. how can we kind of foster that? And an opportunity came up um, to host a one-day esports event. And the reason that came up is because uh, in Arizona, at the University of Arizona, there's a horse racing program. And the gentleman who used to run it was working with an esports organization to see if there was a correlation between people who play esports and whether or not they could be converted into people who would potentially bet on horse racing. Right. Um, so they said, you guys have a racetrack at your facility. Um, you guys have a race book. Why don't we just do a one day esports event? Mm -hmm. um, I kind of put my hand up and said, you know, we've got, we had a poker room that had been renovated and was not being used. Right. There was a storage facility. And I said, hey, how about instead of like, instead of a one day event, if we just built a lounge, an esports yeah. lounge that was open all the time. And uh, they said, what do you need? I said about $10,000 and a bunch of my own sweat equity. And they said, cool, let's take a look, right. let's make this happen. And we did. Mm -hmm. so. In December of 2016, we opened the yeah. first esports lounge in a casino in Canada, mm -hmm. and we had a, a massive event to kick it off, which was fantastic. Yeah. And for the year that the following year, um, that's what I did aside from my normal job is we held tournaments and events on weekends. Mm -hmm. We held viewing parties if there was any major events coming up, yeah. um, and that was my like, you know, the, the culmination of this whole long story is mm -hmm. like. I was able to take my traditional sports background, mm -hmm. my video game passion background, my knowledge of the esports industry, and my knowledge of just like the general marketing demographic that we were looking to, and like meld them all into this mm -hmm. one right. beautiful endeavor that did everything we were looking to do. Mm -hmm. um, it allowed me to uh, harness my passion, but it also brought in the 19 to 35 year old heavily male skewed audience that the casino was lacking. Right. And mm -hmm. we noticed a 35% conversion rate of people who came to play esports tournaments going into the casino. Wow. And mm -hmm. that's nearly double what we would normally see from any general hand to hand coupon handout. So like it's like here's a band or like here's like some sort of like act that's coming in like that's the it was the double conversion it was like so let's say we went to an event and yeah. at that event we handed out like here's hey nick here's a ten dollar coupon yeah. right we would see typically like about 15 sometimes on the high end 20 percent right. of those mm -hmm. actually redeemed yeah. when mm -hmm. we were in our space partially because we're at the casino um but what we did is we actually educated or we mm -hmm. we we pushed through education so what I mean by that is like we had a free-to-play blackjack table in the esports area, right. and we would run tournaments that were free, and based on how you performed, you earned bounce backs into the casino. So you could go into the main casino. Five dollar food and beverage offer, right. ten dollar free bet, whatever the case may be, yeah. and we saw a thirty-five percent uh, conversion rate. Hmm. And what that said to us was. Not only are we bringing this demographic into our property, but they have a propensity to want to, to game. And if we can do what we can to educate them on what the casino has to offer, they're willing to take that step. The other thing it taught us, and I knew this kind of before, but brand loyalty in this space is extremely important. Right. If you look at the early adopters, I'm talking like your Coca-Colas, for example, um, people who watch and consume esports, especially early on, realized in order for this thing to be a thing, I have to support these brands that are supporting it. Right. Otherwise, they're just gonna pull their dollars, right? Yeah. Um, so what we noticed was the people who came for gaming tournaments were coming back. Mm. They were coming on Friday nights and right. Saturday nights. Mm. And we would see them and I would see them in the casino and we would start talking and it was like, yeah, well the reason we come here is because like, 
you support our community. So right. if we're gonna go to any casino, why would we not go to the one that, and we were just like, to me that was like a huge light yeah, bulb. Yeah, even right? if it's like yeah. maybe further away, it, it was, we're coming yeah. here because you're providing the things that we believe in. Absolutely, yeah. and they knew that in order for us to continue to be successful and to continue running these events, um, that that you know contribution had to be done outside of just that one day thing. We have people booking Christmas parties like for their company, oh, wow. like guys that play in our esports tournament. They're oh, we have to go to this casino yeah. and do a buffet and watch right. the horse racing or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that was really like when I got the light bulb, and it was at that point when I realized um, there is so much opportunity locally in this space. Right. Um, nobody has just kind of taken the reins and said. I'm gonna do something about it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I after I left, I'd been, I left the casino, sorry, I should, in, in December of 2017. Uh, so the eSports Lounge yeah. shut down after Dude. after I left. One thing like I really do wanna to touch on though, yeah. because it's interesting that you say that, and we've, we've seen this through like our own marketing efforts in the eSports space, is that the brand loyalty yeah. of gamers is like unparalleled. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, and people don't understand that. No. It, it's like, you know, regular customers, it's like you can make, you know, advocates and loyalists to your brand. Yeah. And, but they can be somewhat swayed unless it's like very, like yeah. key things like people like love their Canadian or Budweiser sure. or like, you know, Coke versus Pepsi. Yeah. People are pretty passionate about those things. But in gaming, it's yeah. like multiply that, that kind of brand loyalty, Coke versus Pepsi, yeah. times like 10. Oh yeah. And that's not even an exaggeration. Like people are so locked in. It's like, I, I own this type of mouse. I buy the same one for like 10 years. Yeah. I've gone through five iterations of yeah. it. And like, that's the norm. Come to my house and check out my gaming area. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm very brand loyal as well. Yeah. Because I get it, right? And, and it's really important to note, like, for companies that are looking to, you know, as part of my responsibilities and responsibilities with the gaming stadium, which we'll get to, I guess, later, but like, it's, it's, it's partnerships too, right? Yeah. Like dealing with different sponsors and partners. Yeah. And the thing that's the most important is like, if you're looking to get into this space and you want that brand loyalty to be built, you have to get into it. You can't just say like, here's $100,000 and I want to throw my logo on something. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. Gamers are a bit more, I don't know what the right word to say is, but- you need to be coddled. Like, coddled, but they're also kind of skeptical. That's right. Like they're skeptical yeah. of somebody that's like, that. They're, it's like, this is the first time I see you. Yeah. Right, so it's like, are you trying to advertise to me because you're trying to advertise to me? Or is it that you truly believe in our space? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if they believe, and like, I mean, and we've seen this on things like Reddit. Right, like somebody posts on Reddit trying to sell something, it's like yeah. you get flamed. Yep. Yeah, downvote, like they, downvote, downvote, downvote. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know. So it's like we've, but but on the other side of that is like if you can win them over because you are providing something genuine to them, mm -hmm. like they love you forever. Yeah, and they'll and they'll follow you around and they'll like you know take twenty extra steps out of their way yep. to brand buy you or like consume you mm -hmm. versus somebody else. Yeah, yeah. and here, here's the perf. This is the analogy I always bring up, and I think it's it's pretty good. Everyone has a close circle of friends, yeah. right? And you know when you trust those people, and if some one of those people asks you to do something or help them with something, you're willing to do it. When somebody new is introduced into that yeah. group of friends, there's a feeling out process. Now, mm -hmm. if you start to see that person every Friday night when you go out, yeah. that loyalty and that trust gets built. Mm -hmm. But if you see them once, 
and then you don't see them again for six months, mm. and then you don't see them again. For, yeah. They're on the peripheral, and you yeah. tend not to want to trust or know or like them as much. Right. And that's what I kind of think. People who are in this space think of the brands that have been in there since the beginning as their circle yeah. of friends. Mm -hmm. And for new brands coming in, you can't just like throw a bunch of money, do a one-time hit and bounce. Yeah. Yeah. It's not how it works. You need to actually like be there and be a part of the community. Yeah. And there are so many things yeah. that you can do to, to actually be a part mm -hmm. of that. Like, it's not just, again, throwing money is not gonna solve the problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you really need to integrate. Yeah. And you'll look at some amazing brands that some of them use influencers. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them go to events and actually have a presence, whether it be a booth. Some of them give prizing away. Some of them use their social accounts to yeah. promote something. So there's so many different ways that you know that you can skin the cat, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. But gamers are just extra cautious. It's like because I mean, yeah. you know, the branding. It's like seeing the friend every week. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think it's like that for most brands. But what I think a lot of brands that are looking at this space aren't fully comprehending is if. As, if you did that in one way successfully, like in a different demographic, the amount that you need to pull in closer to gamers is way exaggerated. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people are like, we're trying to penetrate the space and we can't and we don't get it. What's yeah. happening? It's like, it's because these people are fundamentally different. They're just a lot more skeptical. But if you win over their loyalty because like you're actually genuine yeah. and you're actually like, yeah. you know, you're, you're actually giving, it's not, a, you, you can't approach it from a transaction mindset. You're right. And like, you know, the problem that we have with like larger companies is that, you know, they're a slave to like their quarterly earnings. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we're spending this much and we need to get like, you know, our, our CAC is this and our lifetime value is only calculated on a six or six month or one year yeah. where it's like, okay, well, but if you penetrate the space, like your lifetime value for the next five or 10 oh, could be like yeah. absolutely off the chart. It's insane. And, and, and they're going to forgive you when you make massive mistakes. Absolutely. If you think about early adopters in the space, like for me, I think about Razor, right? Like I've got, yeah. I've seen them for like five, 10 years. Yeah. They're on a ton of teams, you know, and like I've got a Razer mouse, I've got like a Razer mouse pad, you know, like the yeah. keyboard and like they've been in that space forever and it's really paid off. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at what they're willing to do. I mean, there are some companies, and I'm not going to name names, but yeah. there are some companies that you speak to and they're just all in, like they yeah. get it. Yeah. And then there are other ones that focus on like, you know, how am I going to make Steve buy my computer? Yeah. Like that's, and, or, or. Some it's just a are, different approach, it's, right? It's like, a totally different approach. And, and I mean, yeah. and I think that, you know, this is where, and I mean, and you've talked to, and I've talked to different brands that are trying to get into the space and they're like, we've tried a bunch of things and it doesn't work. And it's yeah. like, yeah, like if you're approaching this, like you approach many different things. And even if you apply those, the nuances of those things to this space, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. It's like, it's a brand new way of doing things. And yeah. there's like, it's a lot more nuanced than other spaces. Yeah. The one thing I will say that's very important is a having a plan mm -hmm. and then and a, a plan as in like a campaign not as yeah. a plan as in like i have this much money like actually building out and then and then b is like sticking to it but also having that fluidity or that flexibility to say like okay maybe this thing isn't going as i planned so i'm willing to change but also like you do have to kind of stick to your gun so like if you don't have anyone on your team or if someone doesn't have anyone on their team that's an expert in the space like the first step is talk to someone who's an expert yeah. in the space yeah. and get that knowledge first because that's gonna help as you build that campaign. Yeah. But the reason campaigns are so important is again, like, you know, I've traveled to pretty much every major esports event all over North America. I've been yeah. to your Evos and your Dream Hacks and PAX and everything. Mm -hmm. And like, it's funny because sometimes you'll go and you'll see the same brands year after year after year mm -hmm. and you see them and you, you know, it kind of like pings your brain. Like, oh, I've yeah. seen these guys before and I see yeah. them on this person's stream and this guy's stream. Right. And then there are some brands that pop up and you just see them for the first time and then mm -hmm. you never see them again. Mm -hmm. 
and spending it, it, fifty grand to yeah. go to a dream hack is, or I, I'm exaggerating the number, but like, that's not going to be your answer. No. Yeah. There's a campaign that needs to be built around that that is going to have that long-term sustainability yeah. and and that build that long-term brand awareness. And the the good thing right now is like. I don't think people realize how affordable it is to get into esports as a right brand. Right now. Right now. Yes. Yeah. It takes next it year takes or time. two years. Yeah. Like it takes time in terms of amount of months. Yeah. It is to like to get for people to believe you. Yeah. And get in. Yeah. But right now it probably costs one tenth of what it's going to cost probably even like eighteen months down the road. Yeah. I can tell you events that are happening. Or, or have happened in 2018 yeah. compared to events that happened in late 2016, early 2017, have already gone up 3x. Yeah. Right. And that's in and, and, just over a year. And we're in the linear part. That's we right. haven't even hit the hockey stick moment. That's right. yeah. It's going to go 10x like, that's right. in two years. But or if you can get in yeah. early, mm-hmm. and you know, we're lucky enough that we are dealing with a lot of endemic partners that understand the space, that like want to get in early, but also want to sign multi year yeah. agreements because they know where things are going, right? Yeah. yeah. But right now, it's not that expensive um, comparative to traditional media sources to get in. Again, the big thing is understanding your audience, building a proper campaign, having experts that work with you, um, and then sticking to your guns budget-wise. Yeah, so I mean, Spiro, like, you know, tell us a bit more about the gaming stadium. You know, what what are you guys up to? Mm-hmm. What's your plan? How did it come together? Yeah, yeah, so uh, to give the history, um, about a year ago now, um, I was approached by a couple of folks locally um, that had this idea, and the idea was to build. Uh, an, it wasn't at the beginning like a, an esports facility for the sake of esports. Right. Uh, it actually was bred from a gentleman who has a couple kids that play games, and uh, the online space can, in some situations, be fairly toxic. And right. so it was more of like, why don't you guys go play somewhere? Oh, we don't have anywhere to go play. So right. oh, we need to build a place where people can feel safe and comfortable and invited. Um, and that kind of grew into like, how can we actually make this into um, a space specifically for esports, mm-hmm. but still foster that need for you know um, a space where people can just go and hang out and have a good time. Yeah. So right. uh, about a year ago, the discussion started, and um, because of my experience uh, launching the lounge um, at the casino the esports lounge at the casino um, and my understanding of the traditional sports side especially on sponsorships and marketing Um, I uh, was approached by uh, a colleague who said hey like when he was talking to them it was like you need to talk to Spear like you need to get him involved and so Mm -hmm. they did and so I consulted for a little while and uh, after a few months of consulting they said you know, things are starting to trend in the right direction here. Like, why Why don't you come and represent? Like, we're building a board. Why don't you come be on the board? Right. Um, you know, and, and luckily enough for me, I'm also a, a partner in the business. So <clears throat> that's all kind of worked itself out in a very favorable and fun way. Yeah. Um, and we got to the point where uh, after months and months and months of planning, we were like, okay, we feel like we've got a foundation here. Mm-hmm. We feel like we've got an idea. Uh, now we need to take this idea out there and see if anyone's willing to, to back it. Right. And so, excuse me, we um, we did, and honestly, within a couple of weeks of us kind of pitching this idea, uh, we found someone who stepped in and said, hey, we're willing to invest in you guys, and, and that got the ball rolling. So um, this was back in August, and um, in, in August 1st, uh, we put on our press release announcing right. that we were going to be building this stadium, and from then until now, it's just been So, like, uh, so I mean, you know, you guys pushed out basically like a press release come August yeah. uh, 2018. Um, what was the reaction from that? Like, what, like, what were you expecting, and what was it that you guys got? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> expectations were like, 
we put it out with the thought that we might get a few publications that would pick us up. Right. It was more just for us to be able to honestly to like point to when our website was built because it was right. up at the same time and say like oh, we did announce that we're doing this. Like, it wasn't meant to be anything more than just putting it on the wire and kind of seeing what yeah. happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was up late uh, doing it, and I submitted it for, like, a, uh, a 6 a.m. Pacific time launch because we wanted to hit 9 a.m. on the East Coast, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so early in the morning, um, the day that the press release hit, August 1st, um, it was really slow. Like, the Richmond News reached out to us, yeah. and a couple local publications. Like smaller publications. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then uh, around 11.30, um, Daily Hive, you know, mm -hmm. for those that yeah. are in Canada, specifically here in Vancouver, know Daily Hive, yeah. uh, they picked up the story. Yeah. And once they picked up the story, because they're a massive outlet of just yeah. lifestyle and culture, um, mm -hmm. that's when it just became a zoo. And we were right. like, it was Global, it was CBC, uh, Variety, and Engadget, wow. two massive websites and publications based mm -hmm. on the States. Um, it just went went crazy. And so we were basically doing interviews uh, almost for 24 hours straight. Um, August 2nd, we actually flew down to Vegas because that's when EVO was happening. Right. So we went down to EVO for a few days. And even mm -hmm. then, we were doing, like, yeah. we did a breakfast TV Skype interview. We were, it was just, it was. It so was, basically, it was like. It was insane. Pushed launch, all of a sudden, slow, 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 flurry. It just, just yeah, out of nowhere. And yeah, then the next three, so four cool. days. But the, the beauty was, so we did, we timed it on purpose. Right. We timed it right before EVO because we wanted the, the public to know we were doing this. Yeah. And then if we are at EVO and we're posting, stuff to our social from that yeah. tournament it's instant legitimacy right yeah. and, like, for the, and for those that don't know like evo is like the biggest fighting tournament in north america that's right period, period. like there's no bigger one every major, like las vegas conventions that are massive. unbelievable you're talking tens like of thousands of tens people. of thousands of people yeah mm -hmm. um you're talking like every single superstar in that space competing yeah. at this tournament like worldwide every, flying in yeah twitch viewership in the six figures like yeah. it's 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 the if you're a fan of any fighting game, yeah. like you have to go to EVO. Yes. You have to. It's an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so we're there and we're posting photos from EVO and this is a company that just announced two days ago. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like there's instant legitimacy there. Yeah. The beauty of that though was word in this space when you're doing something unique spreads very fast. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we were there walking around, talking to people, handing out business cards, making connections. Yeah. And those people had already heard of us hmm. before we'd even- Like 24 them. hours later. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. It's such a small community and people, I think there's a lot of people. Yeah. But even though there's a lot of people, they're so well connected and communicated yeah. that whether it's for the better or for worse, everyone's gonna find out yep. what you're up to very quickly. Everyone knows mm -hmm. everyone. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like any call or meeting that I have, especially recently, it's like, oh, I was talking to so-and-so at so-and-so, and, -so, and yeah. you're looking to work with them as well. Absolutely. And if you make a good impression, yeah. like one good meeting is gonna render you 10 good meetings. Yep. But, so, but same goes the other way. It goes the well. other way, yeah. Like, uh, you know, to give a great example, recently, um, just last week, we had a call with Ubisoft, right? right. Major game developer um, looking to do some big things in Canada in 2019, and we're looking to partner with them because we have a facility and the team to execute on certain events yeah. uh, here on the West Coast where they don't have a studio. Right. And um, we started talking, and they asked us about production. And we said, yeah, this is the production company that we're going to be using. And he's mm -hmm. like, no joke, I'm flying to Toronto in two days to meet with that company because we work with them as well. Right. And that's the industry. Right. The industry, and then once people start to talk to people, mm -hmm. there's good and bad, of course, you have to represent yourself yes. well. Mm -hmm. But um, the community is very small. And um, 
yeah, so it's, it's kind of fun because if you represent yourself well and you integrate yourself into the community appropriately, mm -hmm. um, the connections are much easier because of that yeah. legitimacy. So, yeah. um, very cool. Yeah, so we put the press release out. Um, uh, yeah, to, to go back and went to Evo and just craziness. Yeah. And uh, we came back and said like, okay, like we we really need to get to work here. Like yeah. we need to. We need to get our put our heads down and focus on this full time and see what we can do to kind of take this thing to the next level. So, mm -hmm. over the next you know six eight weeks, uh, we we further defined our business model. We further defined a roadmap. We kind of tried to figure out. Um, we tried to key on a few partners that we thought would be really crucial, especially yeah. at the start. Mm -hmm. um, again, to provide that 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 legitimacy that we were looking for, yeah. that we weren't just a bunch of sh like schmucks building a building, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> so by having those partnerships, um, it was great. And again, lucky, luckily for us, our press release got enough pickup that we started to get in incoming from major major developers, major yeah. companies saying like, hey, how can we work with you? Yeah. And that was really cool. So mm -hmm. um, things started off on, on the right foot. So, um, you know, to, to fast forward to today, because the last few months have been basically like just boring business stuff, but it's basically <laughs> like building partnerships yeah. and building the foundation, but you know, um, we're set to open in April yeah. of 2019. So um, you, we're, we're, there's an existing facility and we're gonna be doing some renovations to that facility. Um, and so right now um, we're deep uh, you know, in the throes of, of interior design, of project management, yeah. um, while also shoring up our partnership agreements to ensure that <clears throat> day one, mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to meet those expectations. So yeah. um, you know, we, we have a lot of stuff planned in terms of like PR and comms prior to launch, yeah. mm -hmm. but Essentially, right now, like you know, we put on some little events here in the city, yeah. um, utilizing existing venue space. Uh, but we're like you know, I'll I'll go for April. So yeah. So I mean, I think you know what's interesting about your business model is that you guys are really trying to focus on that more more amateur player. Yeah. And trying to create a community out of it. Yeah. Because I mean, right now. I mean, and I think this speaks to like, I mean, a lot of parents as well, like they watch their kids play video game in the basement and, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, it's not like it was before you go outside and play, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, but they're with their friends. Like, I mean, they're, they're 4v4ing or sure. whatever it is. And like, you know, at the other end of that headset, like their friends there, right? But there's always been like a missing element in mm. terms of esports and gaming where, it's great that you can play online, but like LAN isn't particularly like great when you set it up yourself, like in a person's house, right? That's right yeah. It's, and I mean, and you got to bring a TV over, oh, and like I mean, it's just you know, or screens. It's like it's a big production. Yeah. So I mean, really, what you guys are doing is like providing some sort of community for people. Yeah. Right. And like yeah. bringing those people together. You know. Oh, so like basically your business model. Um, you know, it's bring, it's about bringing people together more in person mm -hmm. and to have those interactions because I mean, with sports, like if you like sports, you can go watch the Canucks. You know, you can go catch like a football game mm -hmm. in Seattle. Uh, you have a place to congregate with people that you know share your passion. Mm. With video games, that's not really real right now. So I mean, really, what you guys are trying to do is build build a community. Um, you know, and also I think trying to provide people like a place where they can get better if this is what they want to do or if they want to take things like to the next level and be a bit more serious about mm -hmm. competing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So um, it's interesting because uh, first off, like there are a couple of these types of facilities already in the States. There's mm -hmm. eSports Arena in Vegas. There's two of them in California. Yeah. Um, you know, there's one being built in uh, a beautiful facility being built in Texas and they're starting to pop up. 
Um, we're the first in Canada. But in terms of how our business model is built, nobody in North America is doing it the way that we're doing it. Right. And we actually had a, a very interesting call yesterday with um, with an extremely well-known company in the gaming space. Um, and one of the questions they asked us, and they're the first person, hundreds of calls and emails, and they're the first one to ask. And they said, one thing we have noticed with some of the existing facilities is programming is a bit of an issue. Mm -hmm. What is your programming and how are you guys planning to combat that? And we said, great question, because this was a day one thing. Yeah. So um, myself and Matt, he's our VP of operations. Yeah. We're both nerds. We both love gaming. We've been in the esports space for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. So when we started to put this thought together, it was with the community in mind. Right. So we're actually, uh, you know, we call them core tenancies. There's essentially two core business models that we're going to be running with. Mm -hmm. Number one, uh, we call casual competitive, and then two is uh, training and development. Mm -hmm. So uh, casual competitive is basically, we're going to be open six days a week. Yeah. It's hard to fill programming six days a week if you're just running like, Mario Kart today and Smash Brothers tomorrow right. and Street Fighter the next day. It just doesn't work. So what we're actually doing is we're taking the traditional rec sports model and bringing that over to esports. Right. So four out of the six days a week that will be open, um, we'll be running 12-week seasons. Right. And if you want to think of a comparative, it's a bowling league, rec hockey, rec right. softball. Every Tuesday, hypothetically, would be Overwatch. Every Wednesday would be League of Legends. Every right. Thursday would be CSGO, whatever. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you, yeah, so every t if you're in CSGO, you know every Thursday at 7.30, I go to the stadium for 12 weeks and I compete against people who are of a similar skill level to me, yeah. and I'm playing for a cash prize at the mm -hmm. end. So um, by creating these seasons, uh, we focus in on popular games. The beauty yeah. of our facility is games can change at any time, so we have yeah. the flexibility to change. Um, but we, play, we have those 12-week seasons, so people are coming back week after week. They're playing against people that are of a similar skill level to them, so yeah. they're not punching up or down right. uh, in weight class. Um, and then lastly, they're still competing for a cash prize, but it allows them to get out of the house and do this yeah. um, at a minimum of, of once a week. So that is something that nobody in North America is doing. Right. And that's because we have the experience in the traditional sports and how it's been run, yeah. and we can combine that with esports. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two days a week, your Friday, Saturday nights, are going to be focused on you know, your monthlies, your bi-weeklies, um, some 19-plus events where yeah. we have it as more of maybe like a party atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, but it just gives us the flexibility to do more stuff. So um, that's kind of like you know core tenancy one. It's casual competitive. Yeah. We want people, um, you know... I'm 35, I love gaming, yeah. I'm not as good as I once was, even though I was never that good, um, but I still love to compete. Yeah. I still love to play online and test myself against other people. Mm -hmm. The beauty of online matches is for the most part, um, you get matched against people of similar skill level, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's just taking that experience and bringing it to a facility. Yeah. A facility that is a full service facility. So you don't have to, like, we offer all, we have all the equipment that you would need, yeah. we have a full production studio, we have a stage with a big screen, uh, we're live streaming every single day. Yeah. So when you and your buddies come, not only do you get to play in these tournaments, but you get the experience of feeling like you're a professional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I play a lot of hockey, rec hockey, and when I get the chance to play on Rogers Arena, I feel like a superstar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm playing in an NHL arena, and I can see the 19,000 seats. It's a different level, yeah. and that's what mm -hmm. we're looking to provide to people, but in the casual space. Yes. So that's number one. Uh, number two is um, yeah training and development. Yeah. So we're currently working on building um, you know proprietary training and development curriculum, right. and what that will focus on is not only helping people get better at the game, but mm -hmm. also just the aspects around the industry. What that means is like how important fitness is, 
uh, dietary, yeah. how important is mental health. Mental health is such a big component to this yeah. space. Um, so it's taking all of those aspects and combining them with the training in the actual game itself mm -hmm. uh, to not only become a better gamer, but just to yeah. become a better person and a, mm -hmm. and a better member of the community. Um, so th the analogy I say is like when I, I remember when I was five and I was in kindergarten, I grew up in a city called Burnaby and Burnaby Minor Hockey Associ Association came to our school and gave out registration forms. Right. I went to my dad's restaurant that night and said, Dad, I want to play hockey. It was 99 yeah. bucks. I'll never forget. Dad, I want to play hockey. Okay. Two days later, and this store doesn't exist anymore, but my mom takes me to Woodward's yeah. and, we're, we're, yes. and we're shopping for my hockey gear. And I, yeah. I felt amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. If a five or six or seven year old right now goes to their parents and says, I want to try to do this for a living, mm. there isn't really any way for parents to no. really cultivate that, right? And say, mm. I want to foster this development. How yeah. You go on Craigslist and search for a Fortnite teacher and hope that you get a good dude. Like, I mean, it's, but, it's totally. But you random. don't know who you're getting and you what don't know. what quality. And they're, it's online, yeah. and it's like. And yeah. I'm someone who takes games like fairly seriously, and I personally, in the last couple of years, have had coaches. Like, mm. I will play games, and I will find people who stream, or I'll find. People, and I have myself paid yeah. for people online to teach me how to get better right. at games. There are some online courses that you can take as well, but. Nothing that provides like that safe, warm, comforting, community-driven yeah. environment. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to be. Yeah. That's the second part. The second part, and this will come probably like six months after we launch, once we get like the casual competitive stuff right. kind of locked in. Um, you know, that's when we'll be able to say, okay, like now we have this curriculum where people of any age uh, can come in and actually not only get better at the game, but get better at all the other aspects. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the important part is when you're putting this stuff together, you need to trust. So I coached hockey for quite a few years. Yeah. And when parents register their kids in any sport, they're trusting the coach is a good person, yeah. but also trusting they know what they're doing. Because yeah. ha you're handling their child's development yeah. socially and physically, right? right? So for us, it's important to make sure we have the right people. Yeah. And so we're partnering with people, you know, um, that worked on strength and conditioning with the Canadian Olympic Committee. Mm -hmm. We're focusing with people who are former professional players, mm -hmm. former professional team coaches and managers, yeah. people that live in this country, maybe not all in Vancouver, but across mm -hmm. the country, that like see the need for this yeah. mm -hmm. and are willing to give their knowledge. So the important thing is like, it's not just a curriculum, but it's a curriculum backed by resumes of people who have the experience in this space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that those two things are what sets us apart. Right. Because nobody else is doing that well, right now. you're doing the background checks to make sure that these people are legitimate, sure. they're safe, you know, because I mean, it's people's children to your point, right? Yep. So I mean, like safety is paramount. Yep. So there's, I mean, that's number one. And we have security at yeah. our building. Every every minute we're open, yeah. there's security there. So, um, you know, we want to break down the negative stigma mm. of like, gaming being seedy yeah. or gaming being dark and underground or being a basement thing right mm -hmm. like like that's not true at all and mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who still believe that that's the case yeah mm -hmm. we're looking to break those walls down right um part and parcel with that is uh, again um you know something that's on our roadmap but won't be there like right when we open mm -hmm. is we're actually looking to provide free seminars mm -hmm. on games specifically right so anyone whether you're a parent a child, someone in between, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You want to learn about a game, you can come in, take a 60 minute free seminar yeah. mm -hmm. that gives you the basics to understand the games that you're playing. Yeah. Because again, we want to break down that negativity about like, oh, right. this game is violent or this game is this. Like, well, it's not always the case. Excuse By me. being able to showcase, um, you know, how the community can interact together yeah. in an environment that is like all encompassing, mm -hmm. um, it's a really cool differentiator. Yeah. 
And I told that same long-winded story to the company that we were speaking to. And again, mm -hmm. this is like, when you think computers, this is a top three company, right? Yeah, that we were right. speaking to. And they were just like absolutely blown away by how much thought we'd given to this. Yeah. Um, because if you look at programming at existing venues, it's Wednesday is fighting and Friday is shooting games and Saturday is this. Yeah. And it just same old repetition, yeah. same old blah, blah, blah. So yeah. we're looking to kind of twist Well, it's just like it doesn't engage, you know, the clientele. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, I think that, like, you know, to transition a bit, it's like, you know, why do you think esports have become so popular in such a short time? I mean, you know, people are kind of looking at this phenomenon. They're saying, like, oh, man, it's getting so popular. But is it really becoming that popular? Or is it that there's now an outlet? Yeah, I think um, the outlet is really important. I mean, like I talked about earlier, lining up for those consoles. Yeah. Those lineups were hundreds of people deep. Yeah. People at the back knew they weren't getting one, but they mm. still stayed just, just in, in case, case right? Yeah. It just, there was no outlet for people to be able to share that passion. Right. Community. So there's a couple of things. Um, number one, YouTube and Twitch need a ton of credit yes. because they've given the platform for people to share that passion and yeah. for people to consume that passion. Um, so that, that to me, number one is, is, is big. But the second thing is just like, there's this perfect timing of like, how digital has taken over mm -hmm. and less and less homes have cable now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you don't have cable, you're consuming your product via digital. And that mm -hmm. could be Netflix, that yeah. could be like online television programs, mm -hmm. that can be, um, you know, again, YouTube, Twitch. Yeah. So it's forcing people, especially at a younger age, to consume their information digitally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The beauty of YouTube and Twitch, they cost zero dollars, Yeah. right? Yeah. Now, there obviously are things that you can do to pay to get, you know, if you wanted to have Twitch Prime or whatever, it costs yeah. you X amount per month, whatever. But like, they're free. Yeah. And when you have something that's free, mm -hmm. that isn't um, X-rated, um, it's very uh, appealing to people, parents yeah. and kids alike. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that like, the digital age has kind of come in at the same time that Twitch really rose and YouTube really rose. Mm -hmm. um, and you've had a couple key influencers, like right. you go back to PewDiePie, who's like the number yeah. 77 million subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. Like you go back to his beginnings, video games, Yeah. right? And then 100%. it grew from there. So like when you look at these top influencers, a lot of them started by showcasing gaming yeah. and then getting. The other thing is the developers have really jumped on board. Right. So, um, you know, you start with, with, with companies like Sony and Xbox, mm -hmm. uh, Sony and Microsoft, sorry, they have one touch streaming capabilities right. now. So you can literally be playing on your PlayStation and hit a button and stream it to the world right. via Twitch, right? It's super easy. So that's yeah. a huge factor. Um, and then the other thing that comes into play, yeah, the developers is like they are now building games right. or developing, uh, uh, like not developing further, they're building games, um, but they're also like uh, adding to their existing games to mm -hmm. make them more esports friendly, right. to focus on the competitive side. So it's, it's not really like, you know, it's becoming popular. It always has been there, but there mm -hmm. wasn't access, right, by the creators. Like the creators didn't, it was very complicated to get I mean, your content out there yeah. compared to how it is now. You, you couldn't get your content out there. Um, if you go, if you want to go way back, like to Ustream yeah. and Justin.tv, mm. like the outlets were there, but the issue back then was internet was so bad. Yeah, it was laggy. Yeah. You couldn't get your download speeds, your fiber optic. Yeah. So like you try to go watch something, and it was just like uh, 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 it was yeah. brutal, yeah. right? So um, 
why would you want to create content for a platform where people can't consume it properly? Yeah. And so um, what ended up happening was once YouTube and, and Twitch kind of, I mean, YouTube was always kind of there, but yeah. exploded. Mm -hmm. And then Twitch came in and, and yeah. you know had this platform that could sustain. And at the same time, the internet became good enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now it's just like, okay, this is easy. Because yeah. the other thing we all understand is when you stream or watch things on like a mobile device mm -hmm. that isn't connected to Wi-Fi, yeah. it chews data, yeah. right? Yeah. So data plans are better and cheaper now. Yeah. Yeah. Easier to consume. There's yeah. Wi-Fi everywhere. Easier to consume. Well, and it's interesting because I mean, YouTube has always been there. Yeah. And people have been popular on it, but you know, before, I mean, I know YouTube now has live capabilities, but yeah. back then people were pre-recording and then uploading and then the quality was okay in that paradigm. But to do it live, yeah, really, like that's maybe the past 18 months. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. in terms of like computer quality, you know, because like, I mean, these gamers are, are that are broadcasting on Twitch, for example, like they're building rigs that like these are not off the shelf solutions. They're no. building their computer so that it has enough power so that it can actually like produce a high quality stream live. Yep. You're and, talking and three, four, five thousand dollars yes. easily for that for yeah. those computers. Yeah. So I mean, on that note, like, you know, why do you think people are watching video games on Twitch versus, you know, on YouTube before? I mean, before it was more like game guides. Yeah. Now people are actually watching streamers live. And sometimes sometimes the game's actually secondary to the personality. Yeah. Like what what's that inflection point? Like what why are people watching that over say television? Yeah. So um the beauty of any game is things can happen at any second mm -hmm. that are unpredictable, right? Yeah. Whether you're dealing with like a Red Dead Redemption where it's an open world game and you come across different things, yeah. or you're dealing with a Fortnite or a Battlegrounds or a Call of Duty, right. where every time someone jumps into a game it's different. So part of it is FOMO. Part of it is like, right. I just don't want to miss out on what could happen by watching this person. Right. Because it's going to be clipped, it's going to become a meme, It's gonna, and I don't want to miss that. Yeah. So part of that is just like consuming that data. The other thing is like for traditional sports fans, like yeah. like I'm a traditional sports fan, mm -hmm. I love Sundays right. because I can watch live NFL football right. all day. Yeah. If they had live NFL football 24-7, I would probably <laughs> consume it 24-7. It's true. Twitch gives you that opportunity with gaming. You yeah. can consume live gameplay 24-7. Yeah. So to me, I think that's why it's it's like becoming, the personalities are a massive part of it. Yeah. Um, I think there are two really core like there's people who are like really good personalities and whether or not they're good at the game yeah. doesn't really matter and then there are people whose personalities like aren't cut out for it right um but they're but just then top level but then there's both and, and, this, and this is where you get ninja this is where you get like a nick Merckx on fortnite those this are is the, where you get like top five percent yeah and it's like you know those yeah. it's like you you go on twitch and it's like top three streams yeah. every time it's but they're always both yeah so here's the other thing people don't really talk about with, with Twitch. And I think it's very important to understand why the rise of content creators has been so high. Um, the ability to monetize. Right. And so in the past, there wasn't really the ability for content creators to monetize to the point where they could make a living. Mm -hmm. And on YouTube now, that capability exists. Right. Uh, and especially on Twitch now with donations and subs and yeah. cheers and sponsorship integration. Right. So you've got people like Ninja, and Ninja's like the top 0.1%, zero, 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 yeah. whatever. Um, but like, they have the ability to make a living yeah. by making that content. Mm. And when you've got thousands of people who are doing it for a living, 
the content is there to consume all the time. Yeah. yeah. If that wasn't available, people wouldn't do it. But, but I think it's important to know, like, I mean, yeah, like Ninja's like the probably the highest earner he in is, terms yeah. of like like Twitch, like yeah. ongoing Twitch streamers. Yes. But you know what most I think people don't know is that there's a lot of people that are Twitch that are on Twitch, like that are streaming, that are between number five and ten. Sure. That like they're making more money than a regular day job. Yeah. Like like and and by you know leaps and bounds and some of these guys can be found tenth on stream. Yeah. Like I, for a specific game. I was watching a guy today. Uh, he had about four hundred viewers, right. which is not massive, not small, but not massive. But if you do the math on like the donations, if you do the math on the subscriptions, he was talking et cetera, et cetera, about it. He was talking like, about it. Yeah. And he was saying like, you know, I just hit a thousand subs. Right. And a thousand subs is twenty five hundred dollars a month minimum US, US. right? Yes. Minimum. Just right. from donations. Yeah. Or just from subs. I'm not talking donations, we're not talking cheers. YouTube views on the upload. We're not talking sponsorship integration because yeah. he had sponsors on his stream as well. Yeah. So he's making around thirty thousand dollars a year mm. right. just from subscribers. Yeah. And that that's probably less than half his revenue. Way less, less than half. Yeah. yeah. But even then, depending on where you live, yeah. some people work full-time at minimum wage and don't make that much that, money absolutely right so um, the ability to monetize for anyone is there and the beauty of twitch is that initially twitch was catered to the top five percent yes right only our partners could get XYZ yeah but they've brought in that scope now yeah and so yeah like you know you can become an affiliate fairly easily which means you can get subscriptions and whatnot you might not be getting the same piece of the pie right and you're not getting access to the same things that partners are getting access yeah, yeah. to but you still have the ability to monetize right. the last stat i read and it, it could be wrong but the last stat i read on twitch is there are currently two million active streamers on wow. twitch two million right um i don't know if that was calculated but i mean maybe month, it's like once a month or whatever, like yeah. whatever it is but yeah. still there are two million people according wow. to their algorithms that are actively like that is insane but when yeah. you think about it and you go into games like overwatch or league and you scroll down there's a lot of people with zero one viewers five viewers ten viewers yeah. like, those people are doing it for the passion and the hope that one day they get to that yeah. point mm -hmm. but like Two million people are using that platform to share their content, yeah, yeah. and that is a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, YouTube has changed, unfortunately, because of you know Adpocalypse and a bunch of other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Where content is now, in order to make really good money on YouTube, you have to cater your content to be a specific thing. Uh, but on Twitch, they actually do the opposite. Right. So like Twitch started with video games, right? Yeah. They've added a poker section yeah. and a casino gaming section. Mm -hmm. They've added a social eating section. They've added a just chatting section. Yeah. They've added an IRL section. So like you can like you talk wanna, shows, whatever it is. Yeah. I've seen some amazing musicians yeah. um, on on Twitch. Mm -hmm. I've seen some people who are just like super funny and fun that they just literally sit in front of their camera and have conversations right. with their viewers. It gives people an artistic outlet in whatever capacity. So yeah. video games is one aspect of that. But the interesting part is the platform is opening itself up to anyone that wants to create content of any kind, mm -hmm. and that's creating like the bigger mess. So yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, what I think that is the opportunity here, I mean, from like a more of a marketing perspective for brands is, you know, influencers in Twitch that are playing video games, um, you can't shotgun it, right? Like you have to pick who these people are that you want representing your brand mm -hmm. but i think that they're very underused because these people are you know it's crazy like the more popular people and even people that are you know top 10 20 at any given time mm -hmm. these people are a mix of charismatic character good at the game or funny and they're also like semi-psychologists like i mean people are there divulging their problems so like there's a high degree of trust there yeah 
And, you know, you never want to like pedal products, right? But if you have a more like altruistic giving nature, engaging these people as your influencers for something that can actually help people, like, is valid. Mm -hmm. um, and right now we just see that as like very underused. Very. I, I think um, the brands that get it, get it. And the perfect example, um, I love watching Dr. Disrespect. He's a character. Yeah. I'm a wrestling fan. He reminds me of a wrestling character. <laughs> right. He's very like, you know, bombastic and he's fantastic. He, um, he has some sponsors. Yeah. Uh, G Fuel being one, Gillette being another one. Yeah. The beauty of what they do is they understand his audience and his audience is there because of his like machismo, right? Yeah. So they, G Fuel creates like a shaker mug <laughs> that echoes his personality. Right. Everybody wants to yeah. buy it. Gillette creates a line of razors yeah. that echo, cause he's got this bushy mustache. Right. Everybody <laughs> wants to buy it. So like the brands that integrate appropriately, yeah. like the, People eat it up. Yeah, yeah. The ones that don't work is like, hey, I'm XYZ streamer, buy my merch. Like it's yeah, like whatever, yeah, man. Yeah. Like people see through it. Yeah. So like there has to be that that understanding of who their audience is. Yeah. But then like G Fuel and Gillette, they get Dr. Disrespect and they get his audience. Yeah. So they cater the product to the audience of you, him. You can't just jam ads through no. like you you need somebody that understands the space, understands like understands the streamers. Yeah. So it's like and this is where people like a lot of brands are just going direct. They're like, well just Shotgun the top twenty guys yeah. in this game. Put my logo on all. Does, doesn't work. No. Like you have yeah. to like really get to understand who it is you're looking at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I mean, we're we're kind of running out of time here, so like we have to end off with like a couple questions here. Yeah. Uh, favorite game to play solo. Favorite game to play solo. Um, so I have two. By myself. Yeah. Is Slay the Spire. Yeah. Ricky knows awesome. this game. Yeah. You know, I, I introduced oh. Ricky oh, to it. Okay. <laughs> I play that game all so the time. Good. All the time. Uh, if I want to compete against people but play yeah. by myself, it's PUBG. Yeah. Um, I just, I love that experience. Love so. throwing grenades and them not exploding. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Fantastic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah. Those are my games. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, favorite game to play as a group? Uh, Overwatch. Okay. I love yeah. Overwatch. I love um, strategic thinking. Yeah. And that game, I, I grew up a hockey fan. Yeah. And people are like, what's Overwatch? I'm like, in hockey, you have three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie. Everyone yeah. has their roles, and Overwatch is the same. Yeah. It's 6v6, and everyone has their role to play. Yeah. How you play that role and work as a team is so crucial to the outcome. Yeah. So I love I love that game. It's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Uh, favorite game to watch? Uh, right... <sighs> PUBG is my favorite game to watch, <laughs> but right now it's actually Call of Duty. Okay. Um, the, their battle royale mode is. I mean, I've always been a Call of Duty fan. Yeah. Um, and their battle royale mode is amazing. I love watching games where the outcome is going to be different every single time. Right. And so the beauty of battle royale is like, a you can jump right in, right? You know, yeah. to another game. But B, like you're playing the same physical game every time, yeah. but based on um, RNG or, you know, based on randomness, um, the actual gameplay changes every single time. Yeah. So even the best of the best cannot consistently win because things that are out of their control happen. So yeah. Call of Duty Battle Royale is like, I, right now it's like all I watch. It's the unexpectedness. Yeah. And then on a non-gaming side, I actually like, for people who don't watch, like poker on Twitch is amazing. Interesting. If Never people, watch it. There. If people like watching poker, like on TV, mm -hmm. like watch some of these streamers. Mm -hmm. It is so much fun to watch poker on Twitch. I like. There's a guy named Kevin Martin who actually won the last season of Big Brother Canada. It was the yeah. second time on Big Brother, mm -hmm. and like he's a streamer on uh, yeah. on Twitch and. 
so much fun to watch. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half personality, half like quality. Yeah, talking through their decision making. Um, you know, again, celebrating wins because yeah. there are some tournaments they're playing in for thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm. Um, but like getting to see their whole cards and how it kind of plays out, yeah. it's a really fun experience. And then being able to communicate with that person. Why did you play Ace King this way in this situation? And right. having the streamer actually tell you why. Yeah, mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah. And I think people like tune in just because, I mean, they like to learn. Yeah. Sometimes. It's a great right? way to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do you think, how do you think that the marketing of esports is going to be different from traditional sports? Like, and at what level? Because, I mean, professional versus semi-amateur, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to be completely honest... It, I mean, it's kind of too early to tell. It is way too but, early but to if tell. But you, if you had to look into your crystal ball. Yeah, if I had to look into my crystal ball, I have one major concern. And that concern is once a bunch of really big brands start to get their hands right. on it, it ends up falling into the traditional sports yeah. way of branding. Mm -hmm. And I just, I hope that doesn't happen because... But, but for the record, I think that if that if they try that right now, overnight, gonna it's going to fl fall flat yeah. on its face. Yeah. Like if people like, I mean, and this is the thing, it's like, there's a lot of people out there buying Overwatch League teams. Yeah. And it's like, if they market then like, and, and a lot of these people like own major sports like whether it's nhl nfl like same owners are buying these teams yeah if they market that the same way that they market like their nfl team or nhl team it's not gonna work no it's not at all no it won't not yeah. right now at least not right now and i think the other thing that has to happen is uh esports has to become more mainstream yeah so espn has to be showing esports every friday or tsn right. or sportsnet like when when it's like traditional sports on TV, yeah. then the bigger brands will start, because they, they have ins with the broadcasters, yeah. right? But it has to grow to that point, and, that's, and it's not who there. Who knows like, when that's gonna happen. Yeah. That's like my big concern, but in terms of like, yeah, like, you know, I think for, for brands that are looking to get into the space, again, the biggest thing is like, with any, like, I, I, I've been in marketing my whole life, more on the traditional side, yeah. I don't fully understand the digital space. Like, I go to digital experts like you guys to help yeah. get that message out there. Because like, if I go in and start trying to do digital ads and campaigns, like I just don't have it's yeah. the same. If you don't understand the space, yeah, get someone who understands the space and have yeah. that conversation first. That's like the most important thing. And what we've seen is that like the targeting on these things, it's yeah. like once you figure it out, it's highly repeatable. Yeah. And people want to see certain things. And like the demographics and psychographics of this group yeah. are very specific. But it's not one. It's not one group. It's actually like. A like it's like 20 different groups mm -hmm. that are sort of clustered together yeah sort of yeah mm -hmm. but if you have one general message for like those 20 groups yeah it won't work mm -hmm. so I was listening to a radio interview with uh, Rick Fox former NBA player one of the first major yeah. celebrities to get into esports and he put it in a way that is so perfect and what he said was when you have the Olympics yeah Olympics is the banner. Yes. Underneath Olympics is ice hockey, ice dancing, ski jumping. And like um, 20 other things. Yeah. Whatever it is, bobsledding. Just because you're good at one doesn't mean you're good at the other, even though it falls under the banner of Olympics. Totally. Esports is exactly the same. Yeah. Esports is the banner. You got League of Legends, Call of Duty, Fortnite. Mm -hmm. All of these games are so different, and the people that different play them group, are so different. What they value. That's right. So yeah. like, you can't just say, I want to get into esports. It's not that easy. No. There's mm -hmm. sub layers to understanding the demographic of each community, and so that's why you need someone who is an expert and, and understands. And even within space. each community, level of competitiveness. Oh, so like somebody, somebody that's like a a1 player versus like a like a 
B about to become an A player. That's right. Like they value fundamentally different things. They like, look at the game in totally different ways. While there's like you know these more casual players, like they value totally different things. And if you advertise to them yeah. the same way that you got, went to that like A B tier player, mm -hmm. it's like they care about different things. But what's interesting about that is that like you got to sell to all of them. Yeah. And you yeah. and you got to like speak to all of them. Yeah. Otherwise, it won't work. And that's why we feel like we're filling a gap for potential. Um, you know, partners and advertisers. Yeah. It's like we're going to be running the gamut of games, yeah. and we're going to have that demographic information. So for people who are looking to target certain things, like we have that all-encompassing. Whereas if you're looking to focus on a game specifically, <clears throat> there's a lot of deep diving you have yeah. to do. But again, like for those looking to get involved, don't just say like I want to get into esports because it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. There's a banner, and yeah. there's a bunch of stuff that falls falls under that banner that really makes you think about how you're talking. If you try to target a League of Legends, like if you're creating an ad for an event and you've got CS:GO and League and Fortnite at yeah. this event, like you need to create three very separate target audiences with different messaging for the totally exact same thing. different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that different types of games will be more popular by country and or continent? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it comes down to some countries like China just don't allow for certain games right. uh, for violence or, or whatever other reason. Um, you know, the way the girls dress in the game. But even like culturally, say it right, because I mean, like North America is different from South America, from Europe. Yeah. You know, different countries just like, you know, uh, yeah. it's just, just kind of like how we see soccer is more popular in Europe versus like the sports that are more popular in North America. Totally. Will that divide happen? And if, if you had to guess, yeah. what do you think like the North American version would be versus like the European or like more like maybe like Asia, Asia yeah Pacific. so it's kind of happening now in terms of like um, League of Legends and Dota definitely are more on the Asian yeah. um, you know Korea China um, they kind of dominate those games Starcraft um, I guess Starcraft well, yeah. um, Counter-Strike is like very European yeah um, you know Poland Germany like it, in those areas yeah. um, you know Counter-Strike is is very popular um, Battle Royale, I'm, I'm finding, is, is a little more North American with some influence, and, and a yeah. lot of the reason is like, um, the servers in other places of the world aren't as good right. as the ones in North America. Um, so I think like, if you look at the top tier games, like in North America right now, I mean, Fortnite is like huge, yeah. um, and then Overwatch. And the reason Overwatch is, is so big is because the developers in Right, California, right? So, um, you know, the ability for them to, to do stuff at their facility is a lot bigger. Um, I think the biggest issue when it comes to playing competitively wherever you are is like access to equipment, um, but again, internet. So some games do require a faster, more stable connection to play at a super high level, and some places of the world just don't have yeah. that quite yet. Mm -hmm. So the reason I think, um, you know, Counter-Strike is so popular in certain parts of Europe is because the bandwidth needed to play that game right. is much different than right. to play some other games. So, you know, not only is it popular, but it's also easy and less barrier to entry. Yeah. Um, as far as like Crystal Ball and telling the future, um, it's hard. So uh, Overwatch, you know, you could argue is the first game that was built specifically for esports. Yeah. Um, the other games that came before it were games, and esports came in and they fit pretty well. Yeah. Overwatch was built for esports. Right. I think we're gonna see more titles like that in the near future. Um, but the tough part is predicting kind of like what will and what won't work. Yeah. The community is gonna have to you know adopt and make that decision. Right. Um, but yeah, as, as far as like. What's going to be popular in North America? I think for the next few years, yeah. Um, I think 
Overwatch is where I would kind of that's the one I would put at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, and then the other games would follow. I mean, like Dota, obviously. Yeah, Dota, League of Legends. I mean, mm-hmm. we we have a we have a fundamental um, development issue in in Canada, yeah. and we're just not developing the talent that some of these other countries are. We have a yeah. few top level, extremely good players. Yeah. Um, you know, Canada, the Overwatch Worlds, two years ago, lost in the finals. Right. This past year, they made it to the semifinals. So they have a good team. Yeah. Um, but but the development behind it is like self-propelled right. by and large. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so like part of what we're trying to do is to develop that next right. phase uh, while staying on top of gaming trends. So yeah. it's, it's a bit of a difficult task, but um, we feel like it's less about which games are going to be performing and more about which people we're going to be able to bring to the next level. Um, Again, games come and go, so it's hard to kind of cross that bridge sometimes. But yeah, yeah, we feel like Canada is lacking a bit in that next generation of like really, really good esports players. And, you know, as a proud Canadian, as we all are, uh, we really want to do what we can to help get those guys to the next level. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.